I'm your host, Paul Wicker, and this is the PPC Show, brought to you by AdStage. Just wrapped up the interview with David Satella, one of the most sought-after speakers at all the PPC conferences. We talked about all the headlines in ad tech. He knows search, he knows social, and then he gave all the listeners probably four or five really solid optimization tips for AdWords. He also offered to give anyone who listens a free copy of his book, Pay-Per-Click Search Engine Marketing, an hour a day, has all kinds of tips for optimizing your PPC campaigns. We record this podcast most Tuesdays at 10 a.m. out of our AdStage headquarters. You can pick it up on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you want all the news in ad tech, head over to blog.adstage.io and sign up there. All right, enjoy the episode. Uh, first off, thanks for coming on the PPC show. Uh, happy to talk AdWords and a few other kind of topics in this week uh, in ad tech. So before we get started, we like to find out a little bit more about you, how you got into paid. And actually, you and I, I think, have bumped into each other at a number of conferences. I used to go to the, the Kelsey conference. I don't know what they call them now. They used to be called Kelsey um, conferences, which were like the local wow. search ones. Uh, because yeah, Bruce Clay, that? yeah, you guys always won awards. That was you, right? Um, I was at Bruce Clay. I'm on my own now. Um, but that that was you in the hallways of these conferences, though, right? Probably. <laughs> so, that seems like a long time ago. Well, how many conferences have you spoken at in the last year, do you think? In the last year, uh, about six. So you were on the circuit. Oh, yes. Always have been. So what's one of your, your favorite conferences from this year? Well, you know... Um, I'm less enchanted with the big uh, national shows uh, than I am with um, the smaller regional ones. Um, the smaller reg regional ones are gaining in audience size, and uh, I like them because I'm, I'm selling my services, and there are a lot of buyers in the audience. In other words, uh, there, are, there are fewer, uh, or at the big conferences, the audience is composed of agencies trying to sell their services, consultants trying to sell their services, and a smattering of in-house uh, practitioners who are trying to buy services. Um, at the smaller conferences, there seem to be a higher percentage of, of companies buying services, uh, and e even a lot of big companies whose headquarters are nearby the venue of the, of the conference. Nice. So what are some of these smaller conferences? Can you give me an example? Sure. Um, Digital Summit. Um, I think they hold uh, seven or eight conferences a year, or at least they had, did this year, um, in major cities. Atlanta, I think, is their biggest one. Denver, Chicago, um, other other obvious uh, suspects. Nice. Um, and I feel like a lot of companies are starting to turn their you know, they wanted to do the Apple-like or Google-like summits, and they're starting to turn them into kind of conference-like things. Um, yes. Zenefits just did one, not necessarily in our industry, but big big news in San Francisco. Right. I think we're at sure. stage is too small. It's in, it's my dream to, to do our own uh, PPC search and social crossover summit, maybe nice. three to 500 people here in San Francisco. Nice. We I'll need go. to convince. <laughs> okay, well, I signed you up. It's only $14,000 a ticket. No problem. <laughs> um, we need to convince probably one of our uh, network partners to foot the bill or give us some space. There you go. But, there you go. Um, great. And actually, you mentioned that you're going to speak soon at another kind of smaller conference in Vegas. Which one was that? 
It's called Ungagged. Uh, it, uh, it purports to be uh, a set of speakers, experts in the industry, SEO, etc. And uh, supposedly we'll be revealing secrets uh, that nobody else knows about or that are semi-black gray hat. And uh, it's, it's very well attended, very well regarded. It's going to be on, uh, let's see, 14th, 15th of November. Nice. Okay, so if you're in Las Vegas and you feel like learning instead of losing uh, gobs of money, now you have something to do. Right. Um, and then, so you said you went out on your own, so you're at FMB Media now, and it's you're That's providing right. agency services? Right, PPC services exclusively. And uh, I define PPC as uh, any advertising media that's bought and paid for by the click. So that would include, um, obviously, AdWords and Bing ads, but also Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, and, and others. Nice. And speaking of, I just saw that Reddit rolled out some interest targeting. So I'm wondering yes. if marketers are going to start to do any Reddit ads. I don't even know if they're PPC. Do you know anything about Reddit ads? I have never used them. Uh, I would be speculating if I said anything about them. Okay. Me as well. I still think it's, if, if you follow Reddit at all, I mean, I work in a, in a place that has a lot of engineers uh, and so Reddit, I don't know. It's just part of that subculture. But um, right. the founder, you know, it's always been about all this like openness and transparency, lack of moderation and like advertising was evil. So it's still funny to me that they even have ads and now that they're doing interest-based. So the big news is now not just subreddit targeting, which is what you could do in the past, you could now do interest-based targeting. So right. Reddit has fully so, converted. Right. They're actually semi-revealing aspects of their readership. Um, and you mentioned, so you do kind of all search social. So in addition to those big five, have you dabbled in any of the other networks like Pinterest or Snapchat? Actually, I've, I've actually uh, started dabbling in um, uh, shopping comparison shopping engines like uh, Price Grabber, Next Tag, uh, Amazon uh, promoted ads. So um, I'm moving in the in away from the smaller PPC platforms and going for the bigger uh, comparison shopping engines. So in in this week in EdTech, we had an article about just in general, kind of all the numbers in the PPC landscape. And it's funny, I skipped to the section on comparison shopping engines because I was like, uh -huh. you know, who's who's going to want to know about these? And sure enough, uh, you're you're focusing some spend there. I used to right. work for the guy who ran BD for Price Grabber, and he came over to okay. the agency I was at, and I learned a lot about CSEs because we were gonna nice. at the time launch a whole kind of e-commerce CSE thing, and then Google Shopping kind of blew up and destroyed that sure. entire industry. But I guess right. there's still some money to be made in the not kind of uh, PLA business. So yeah, I guess what is that? What does it look like? How how do you run campaigns? Is it one CSE that gets you distribution? How's it work? Well, it's um, I would say the platforms are inferior to Google and and, and Microsoft. Um, you know the reporting, the the placement of the ads, the reporting uh, is is a, a bit beyond behind the times. Um, but you know if you muddle through it, you get some some uh, excellent traffic, especially for e-commerce retailers. And at FMB, is that you're doing quite a bit of e-commerce, or do you do a blend? Yeah. Um, most clients are e-commerce at the moment, although I've worked for uh, as many um, 
as many varieties of B2B clients as you can think of. I, I, I actually love B2B clients. Um, they tend to be, uh, especially in the, in the kind of software as a service, cloud uh, services, uh, enterprise software. I, I have a, a background in that, so um, I've, I've got lots of tips for and tricks for uh, maximize, maximizing leads and keeping the cost of them low. Excellent. Well, we'll have to get into some of those tips as well. Um, I do want to point out, I did find the CSC data uh, search engine watch put out the Q3 numbers. Um, mm -hmm. And it looks like the big winner is the blue bar, which is eBay Commerce Network. is kind of growing at 65% year-over-year, quarterly basis. Nice. And, uh, and Price Grabber slash Connexity, which I've never heard of. Uh, also. Yeah, Connexity is, Connexity is a, the um, parent company for Price Grabber and at least five other comparison shopping engines. So yeah, so they're still growing. I mean, they quarterly growth, say 30 to 40% kind of consistently. Uh, so nice. look at that. Um, yeah. And actually, while we're touching on some of these numbers, uh, maybe we'll just we'll throw out some of these stats that uh, kind of surprised me, or maybe some that didn't. Uh, the first being tablets are really just plummeting in terms of both organic and paid usage. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're surprised. Uh, let me give you the numbers and then... Uh, let me know if you guys do bid modifiers on tablet and whether it's still worth it. Oh, yeah. Um, so where are my numbers here? So tablets, paid spending, again, this is all quarterly data year over year. Paid spending on tablets is actually down 4%, while mobile is up 134%. And in organic, just overall search visits, mobile grew by um, 9%, while tablet was down 27%. Also... Apple's recent announcements, a lot of people kind of talked about the decline of the iPad and the tablet market shrinking. Mm -hmm. Does this does this mean anything for the new bid modifier, relatively new bid modifier, where you can now do tablet-only traffic, or does this just mean it's not worth your time? No, I think it's worth worth time. I mean, the, the uh, tablet traffic um, usually converts at a lower rate than smartphone and, and desktop. Um, but that doesn't mean you should uh, ignore the conversion value. I mean, if if the number of conversions is a third of what you get on the other platforms, that's still, you know, good good conversions. And and where you uh, what you need to pay attention to is setting the bid, bid modifiers such that your CPA is acceptable. So yeah, we're we're uh, using bid modifiers for all tablet tr traffic, and uh, they're usually between. Negative twenty percent and negative fifty percent. But I'm not. I'm not surprised that um, that the, the stats are moving the way you just described. Um, I'm sitting here looking at my note seven, uh, which will soon be turned in. But um, you know, right. the rise of of phablets uh, means that people are using their smartphones uh, in situations where they would normally use a, a, a tablet. I see it everywhere. I travel a lot, and I see on, on uh, in airports and on airplanes, uh, people just using their their phone uh, to do everything from uh, surf the internet, uh, do email, and uh, watching media. So, bigger the phone, the smaller the tablet market. Good point. And I think also just the consumer shift, where it used to be, you know, unthinkable to read a book on your phone. You know, there is a right. Absolutely. generation of folks who would just laugh at you and now it's you see a person with a book on a plane and 
it's rare. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so a few other stats. The since you do all five networks, um, Facebook has been just dominating. Um, they yes. grew sixty-three percent year over year, while CPCs drop. So uh, clicks are getting cheaper, volumes going up, and overall revenue is going way up. Um, I assume since you're doing search and social, you spend quite a bit of time on Facebook. Yes. Yeah, and, and uh, getting great results for e-commerce, uh, but also getting good results for B two B. There are actually a couple safe bets on Facebook. One of them is to uh, use to use it for retargeting. Um, every, I think everybody knows what retargeting is, and then um, also using it for a custom audience that is created by uploading an email list, your company's email list. Uh, and then Google does the same. I'm sorry, Facebook does the same thing that Google does under those circumstances, which is uh, creates a similar audience that can be 10 or 20 times the size of the original list, and uh, that that converts very well in, in our experience. And in terms of ad formats, I mean, there's lead ads, there's carousel ads, there's canvas ads. Uh, where where do you focus your time? Um, actually, the the carousel ads and the newer uh, product catalog ads uh, are performing best, um, especially where, uh, actually there, there's a new type as well, whereby uh, you, it's, it's analogous to the carousel ad in that there are multiple images, uh, but there's actually movement that's automatic where uh, one image fades into the next, fades into the next, so there, there's actually some motion going on on the screen, and that's uh, very, very good for uh, capturing the attention and diverting attention away from the feed uh, con content. And is that is that just a carousel ad with a dynamic feed setup that renders differently, or is that an actual ad type you could set up? Um, let's see. I think uh, you mixed a couple of things. <laughs> um, it, it's a, just think of it as a carousel, as a plain vanilla carousel ad, except with that fade in, fade out feature. So. Uh, uh, actually, there's another uh, difference between Carousel and this other type, whose name I can't remember, uh, and that is that with a Carousel ad, if you see an image of a product that you like, you can click on it and go to, directly to the landing page that's associated with the image, whereby in the, uh, let's call it animated Carousel version, uh, there's only one link to the website. Hmm. Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to scan the Facebook docs to see the name of this, um, but because I haven't seen it in the native UI, so I'm just I'll have to poke around and see if I can find it. It's it's relatively new. Um, and then the the other type that that it, you just alluded to is the product catalog ad, and uh, those are identical to uh, AdWords dynamic remarketing ads. So here's how it works. Um, someone visits a site, does not buy, goes away, um, and from then on, on, uh, uh, on, on Facebook, they're presented with a product image or a sequence of product images uh, that are not only pertinent, but are also the very first image that's shown is the one that was viewed, the last one that was viewed on the site. So. You're not, not only assured that uh, the person that's seeing the ad is interested by virtue of the fact that they've been to the site, um, but it's also even more powerful because they're staring at the product that was the last they looked at. 
Yeah, I think Facebook is really proving it can drive uh, e-commerce leads and sales between yes. kind of the number of these tactics that, that you've been talking about. It just seems like their focus is really there. And I, I was at the Facebook uh, partner event maybe two weeks ago. And really, this whole feed-based approach that they've been using in e-commerce, where you can set up a product feed to generate uh, images, uh, well, to generate ads, uh, usually kind of that, that look like carousel ads. <clears throat> They're pushing it out to multiple verticals. So travel, so you can, uh, if you're a travel company, you can push your hotel rooms or your flights. Um, I, real estate maybe there's like three or four verticals where they're going to try to basically let you put these feeds on the mm -hmm. back end and generate ads so it seems like that's definitely the direction they're heading yeah i agree so let's talk about bing and gemini a little bit the numbers on those guys uh is not that great their search ad spending fell 14 percent year over year and uh weirdly i only have a gemini stat but the gemini click volume uh, remained flat uh, so, sorry, this is like share of click volume, Google, mm -hmm. Bing, Gem, uh, Gemini, et cetera, is somewhere around 17%. So do you do you keep this mentality of you focus on AdWords and just copy that over to Gemini and Bing, or how do you approach those two networks? Well, uh, yes, I mean, the starting point is copying over as much as is uh, pertinent, and uh, then there's fine-tuning that takes place to take uh, – advantage of anything that's unique or, or different on the uh, newer platforms. So, um, for example, with, um, with Bing ads, you can actually use bid modification for desktop, although I think Google just uh, rolled that out as well. So, anyway, the point is that um, yeah, once, once the import has happened, there's fine-tuning to make sure that the uh, the plat all of the platform's features are taken advantage of, and then there's further uh, fine tuning because the exact same keywords, ad text, etc., are going to are going to perform differently on one platform than the other. So after you uh, kind of move everything over, you you run through keywords and ad copy, or or do you let it run for you know 14 days let and it, then let it run for a while. Cool. Um, and you mentioned AdWords did add. Uh, separate kind of desktop and tablet bid modifiers fairly recently. The other thing is Bing has now added shared budgets. So right. you can you can do shared budgets, which if you don't know, just means you can kind of share budgets between multiple campaigns. But you cannot, when you copy your campaigns over from AdWords, the shared budgets will not copy. So you still manually have to go in and set up your shared budgets. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then how about Gemini? Are you, how you, how are you feeling about Gemini? Well, um, first of all, I haven't used it. Um, part of the reason is I have a, uh, a prejudice against native advertising of any kind um, because all of my clients, uh, and this is probably 90% of them or 95% of them going back through the years, uh, have been direct response clients. In other words, um, they really want uh, the click to... Uh, result in a conversion uh, at, in the shortest path possible. So, haven't used it. Um, not sure I will. You know, I think I think the uh, I've got my hands full with all of the, the platforms that I described, and uh, I don't have high hopes that Gemini is going to um, add or, or produce incremental sales or leads 
uh, that will make the the effort worth it. And there, as I mentioned, their their search search share is surprisingly high at seventeen percent, which I would have guessed single digits. Um, Me too. And yeah, because I think most most marketers I talk to have that same kind of answer: is uh, to just you know I got enough to do, and Gemini doesn't kind of have enough traffic, and will it convert? Um, you know, at AdStage we we integrate with Google, Bing, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Gemini's on the on the you know edge of always should we should we not? Um, but I guess we're kind of in the same boat. Although I think we have some test budget that we're allowed to give out. So if you're curious in you know checking and seeing if it works for you, we have handed out some test budget because Gemini nice. you know they're anxious to get people to try it. So right. some coupons lying around. I have no idea. The now you're saying 17% share of uh, let's say search volume. It says click volume. So according to the Search Engine Watch article, uh, yep, Gemini has it's flat quarter over quarter, but 17% share of click volume, which makes sense. I mean, still that's probably the Yahoo base people that use Yahoo. Yeah. Um, and their product really is becoming more and more like, I mean, they call it native, but the ads look like text ads uh, with. Right. And then they also have image ads and video, but it's uh -huh. you still can get a nice chunk of kind of search. Um, let's talk about LinkedIn. You mentioned you also run some ads on LinkedIn. Um, I'll go over the numbers real quick, but before I do, you know, a lot of people complain about how expensive leads are, but you said you had some good tricks for keeping yeah, CPLs down, but do you have any good tricks for LinkedIn? Uh, I don't really. I mean, um, I, w I recommend and use LinkedIn only for uh, companies with products and services where the price is high and the margin is high. Um, otherwise, the the ROI just doesn't work out. So, you know, it's LinkedIn has great targeting capabilities. You can reach uh, business people uh, and and slice and dice the the demographics and interests and education and company name, etc. Uh, great, great platform for hyper targeting, but again, the the click prices are just nuts. I'm going to a, a Microsoft uh, uh, event next week, um, which is they they bring in uh, some key influencers every year and get input. And one of the things I'm sure will come up, definitely come up for me, is um, Microsoft, please turn LinkedIn into a much better advertising platform. <laughs> Yes, yeah, switch the magic button, or well, that switch the magic switch. I guess you would push the right. magic button. Um, exactly. Do you have a number for how large the like uh, deal size needs to be, or how much margin? Like, is it a thousand dollar retail, or is it five hundred dollars in in profit to make LinkedIn worth it? Well, that's a very good question. Um, let me just do some math in my head here, which is very fallible. <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess at least a thousand dollars. You know, and and the, a lot of the enterprise software companies, for example, have a lifetime value for their clients of uh, thousands of dollars, even if the initial transaction isn't uh, isn't that big. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd guess around a thousand dollars. I mean, it sounds high, but uh, if you do, if you do the math. The CPA is going to be um, prohibitive for a lot of companies that sell less expensive products and services. Yeah, I mean, I've heard CPA is up around two, three hundred dollars, but um, yeah, easy. But if you have an LTV, a thousand plus, um, 
right. then, you know, may make sense. I mean, yep. so we do quite a bit of LinkedIn uh, through AdStage. Uh, we have a bunch of agencies that are big in EDU and hiring, and those verticals do very well. Their CPAs are much lower. I mean, they're usually sub $50. Still not, you know, $5 leads, but, you know, really qualified $30 leads for a, for a hiring kind of platform or for a, a university where, you know, you're going to pay $120,000 in tuition or whatever it's up to these days. Um, right. <laughs> we see quite a bit there. And they are, you know, they've talked about doing things more like lead ads and, and trying to move a little bit more transactional because that is the wrap on them. Right. Um, so we'll see. Um, overall, they're doing well as a company. They almost broke a billion dollars per quarter. They're doing $960 million a quarter, uh, which is growth of, I wrote it down somewhere, but I forget. I think it's like 23% year over year. Um, their revenue breakdown is still very heavily dependent on their hiring and learning and development solutions. So somewhere north of $600 million, or $623 million comes from kind of people trying to find a job through LinkedIn. Right. And then you have kind of, uh, let's call it 320 million coming from their marketing products, AKA their ads and their um, kind of audience targeting. So the premium subscription, if you want to use their uh, sales navigator tool and things, things along right. those lines. So, gotcha. but the ads product by itself is up 26% and it's up to $175 million a quarter. So they're getting close to becoming kind yeah. of a, a billion dollar network in terms of the ads business. Well, um, that all sounds great. I just need a lower click price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the TLDR is, I don't care. It's too expensive. Right. For, <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. So, so let's talk a little bit about a uh, presentation you gave at PubCon, um, and the, the topic of that was auditing, uh, AdWords auditing, and some obscure mistakes that people use. I was right. hoping maybe you can give us maybe a top three. What are the, the top three mistakes that you find in these audits? Sure. Well, first, I want to mention that um, I, uh, I wrote a book called uh, Pay-Per-Click Search Engine Marketing on an Hour a Day that was published by Wiley Cybex. And uh, it was written uh, several years ago, so some of the material is uh, outdated, but uh, most of the material is not. And I wanted to offer to your listeners a free copy, PDF copy of the book, um, simply by sending me an email david at fmbmedia.com. That's frankmarybarbara.com. Um, and just put the word book in the subject line and I'll ship one off to you. Well, that's great. And it, it's FMB. Don't really put Frank Mary Barbara. I think that, that's exactly. a different website. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, let's, let's start with um, one that uh, really drains money. And I see it in... Uh, this, um, this mistake, and I'm going to say 85 to 90 percent of the accounts that I either audit or inherit, and that is that ads are being displayed outside of the geotargeted area. Uh, the way you can see this is you can go to the dimensions tab, uh, choose user locations, and then you see a, a long list of uh, very detailed data down to the city or even uh, DMA or, or zip code. Uh, you don't want that to obscure what we're looking for though, so you modify columns and you strip out everything related to location 
that's optional uh, that leaves the display with just the upper level uh, data points which are if you're advertising nationally uh, country level uh, if you're advertising locally it could be state or, or city so having done that um, let's say if you're if you're targeting just the United States um, again 85 to 90 percent of the time I see ads are being displayed all over the world and uh, unfortunately even if the ads are not pertinent to someone outside of the United States uh, they will be clicked upon and uh, I've seen huge uh, numbers of dollars and clicks coming from uh, ads that will never convert and I can so, I can attest to this I mean in many times back when I was client uh, client facing you know people see we almost always would give them some you know demographic report and there's always Russia and there's always China and India in there and they'd say yeah. Well, I don't want any clicks from Russia. And we'd be like, well, uh, this was a while ago before uh, there was the option to change, which I think uh, you'll probably talk about. So you used to just kind of tell Google, oh, I want to target the U.S., and then you got what you got. But I, people have options now, right? Yes. Uh, it's a little hidden. The, uh, the, the key is to go into the campaign settings uh, for each campaign um, and click on a little line, a little hyperlink, below the locations area uh, where it says location options and in parentheses advanced and then you see uh, three options uh, people in or who show interest in my targeted location and that's the default and that's recommended and that's the problem uh, I, I won't say some say that Google is greedy and they they uh, set defaults that will make them more money I, I don't really believe in conspiracy theories but that's the end result um, the way to get rid of the problem is to um, turn on the radio button instead that says people in my targeted location which says Google which, which is telling Google uh, hey I really mean it don't show ads outside of my targeted location and uh, no problem thereafter that's great so that's a, a really easy tactic to take and then when when people do that and Obviously, you've done this on many accounts. Do you see that drop to zero, or do you get yes. things down to 90%? Drops to zero. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Great. What else you got? These are good. Um, let's see. Well, uh, there, there's a common activity, or at least it should be common, uh, of running the, the search query report, um, looking at the search terms that are being used to match to the keywords in an advertiser's account and uh, thereby find uh, likely candidates to become negative keywords or positive keywords. Uh, this is an activity that all pros should be uh, undertaking uh, at least every couple of weeks or, or once a month. A um, couple problems with the defaults that Google sets. Uh, one of them is that uh, when you decide to accept their recommendations for negative keywords, um, they list or they f fill the, the uh, text boxes with the uh, sorry negative exact match keywords. So negative exact match keyword says Google, don't show my ad when this uh, when the search query is exactly like this key keyword or key keyword phrase. Uh, usually that's not really what you want. What you want is to 
make sure that Google doesn't show ads for uh, any search query that has one or two of the, of the core words in them. So uh, my advice is don't accept the, don't blindly accept the fact that uh, Google's by default suggesting the exact match negative keywords. Um, just go back into each box, type in a single word or a, uh, a one or two or three other words and uh, make them broad match. So boils down to uh, if you see that Google or when you see that Google is suggesting exact match negative keywords, change them into broad match. So I would get a little nervous. So broad matching negatives always makes me think I'm going to accidentally turn off something important. But I guess you're saying right. it's better to turn it all off and then because a lot of it could be crap and then right. uh, and then phrase match it if it really is impacting your conversions. Right. And and remember that uh, broad match negative keywords are much safer than broad uh, positive keywords. And the reason is that when you use a, a, a negative broad match keyword, uh, Google doesn't do any extrapolation or synonyms or plurals. Uh, it, it's still operating on only the exact word. Hmm. So the, the risk is lower. Of course it is. That's a great Google trick right there. Yeah. Broad match when you can spend money is anything that's remotely close. When it prevents them from spending money, it's they change the definition of it. That's right, exactly. That's right. Now, um, another thing about the search query tool, when you, when you decide to add um, positive keywords uh, by ticking off the boxes next to the search queries, uh, Google makes the keywords by default broad match, plain vanilla broad match. And uh, I won't go into exactly why broad match can be really dangerous, uh, but let's suffice it to say that you usually don't really want them to be broad match. Uh, unfortunately, it's tougher to uh, fix this issue. Uh, the best way I found is to use AdWords Editor uh, make the go ahead and make the changes, accept the broad match versions, go into AdWords Editor, uh, download the most recent changes, and you'll see those keywords uh, highlighted in green. So it'll be it'll be very easy to uh, pick them out in a group and change their match type. Well, David, it sounds like you have the perfect idea for an app that we should help you build. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. We have a, a lot of agencies that have these very specific things they do, which are pretty manual, and they do them on a regular basis. So we just had a, a right. LinkedIn agency build like this kind of bulk ad builder to do this, really just to build ads via spreadsheet. Um, right. So because we used to, we'd have conversations, they always be like, man, can you guys just build this? And it just wasn't on our roadmap. So finally we said, well, do you have a few bucks? If you hire an engineer, <laughs> we'll work with them and we'll let you build it and actually sell it. So we're going to... Right. Getting advance notice. We're going to roll it out probably in the next month or so. It's actually his app, nice. not ours. Nice. And anybody that buys it, you know, we split revenue and little a little app store on AdStage. Right, right. Um, so you should do that. You got a few thousand bucks laying okay. around, and uh, let's, <laughs> let's build it. Um, yeah, all right. I'll get one of my buddies or, or you to build it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this uh, whole presentation could be turned into a, a couple apps. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to go down the, the rabbit hole too far, but that's where I really think the future of our industry is, is that marketers don't want to use generic tools that don't do a great job, and they don't want, they don't expect a single platform to do everything across all networks. So with AdStage, we went from 
you know, three years ago when we launched, we were, hey, all five networks, build an ad once, put it everywhere. And, you know, that was before I joined. So I don't want to, um, well, I guess I should, <laughs> I'm basically just pushing blame on the founders. But when I first met and talked with them, you know, they had already realized like, no one builds one ad and puts it on Facebook, Google, and LinkedIn at the same time. They're just totally different. Um, and we've really gone down this path of instead building really specific apps that solve specific problems. And we just don't have enough engineers to build them all. So we started kind of recruiting right. agencies that were asking us to build these niche solutions and just saying, hey, we've already got APIs. You can create some stuff on ad stage and, and then... So now we have this kind of bunch of tools and we said, oh, maybe we should start enabling them to cross-sell. So if one agency is on stage presenting, they can kind of say, hey, if you want to use these tactics, you know, you can present uh, this keyword kind of solution and say, oh, by the way, I have a, a tool you can use. And it's like, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks a month. And it's a nice little source of revenue. Nice. All right. End of pitch. Think about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've piqued my interest. Yes. Well, and I really think it's how the industry will move. So, you know, obviously, we're, as ad stage as a company, we're trying to to go there first. Um, and nice. I think it's super exciting. So negatives, that's some really good advice. I think uh, a negative you normally put on campaign or ad group level when you're doing this. Uh, almost always at the campaign level. You know, I mean, if the, if the, if the account is structured correctly, uh, all the ad groups under the campaign level um, are related to each other in some way. So it usually makes sense to put the negatives at the campaign level. And so another another topic which I wanted to ask you about was quality score. Um, back mm -hmm. when I was climb facing, we would get angry emails about, you know, uninformed folks who would just say, our quality score is terrible. Fix it. Um, do you have any right. tips on how to improve quality score? Sure. Improve click-through rate. True. That is true. <laughs> It really is. I mean, um, I think uh, click-through rate of ads and, and testing ads and getting better and better click-through rate is, is uh, uh, the most important key to improving quality score. Uh, now, naturally, uh, when comparing ad performance, uh, the conversion behavior, conversion rate and cost per conversion uh, needs to be taken into consideration. But Google doesn't look at conversion behavior when they're calculating, calculating quality score. So really, the, the main factor that determines quality score is click-through rate. Um, there's, a, there's a relatively minor um, contribution from the quality of the landing page, uh, but the sub-factors the, the sub in that, which are uh, page loading speed, um, presence of a privacy policy link, uh, kind of uh, things that are documented, uh, those are the main determinants of uh, landing page quality in the eyes of Google. The, uh, the number of keywords that relate to the ad and keyword, uh, the, the uh, amount of content, etc., those are SEO things. They aren't really uh, contributing in a big way to overall quality score. So my advice is really just concentrate on click-through rate and the quality, store, quality score will, will come. So you mentioned a little bit about structure. Uh, and I know in your talk, you talked about kind of how many keywords in an ad group and how many ads. Can you talk a little bit about an ideal structure? Sure. Um, well, first of all, the campaigns um, at the campaign level 
the ad groups just need to have something in common with each other and uh, it, it really is in a lot of cases possible to have one campaign but um, it that makes uh, reporting and uh, observing performance behavior much di more difficult than having at least a handful of campaigns uh, and then the ad groups uh, there really is no uh, magic number of ad groups underneath each campaign um, you know it could be in the hundreds for a, a company uh, e-commerce e retailer with thousands of SKUs um, usually I, s I see and I create campaigns that have uh, 10 to 20 ad groups underneath them the, the real uh, the really important aspects are how many keywords per ad group and how many ads per ad group um, my advice is number of keywords for, per ad group should be small. Um, I'm just throwing an arbitrary number, 6 to 18. Uh, what this does is it makes sure that your ad is uh, directly related to the keywords. In, in fact, the ad should include the root words of the key phrases in the ad group. Uh, and uh, just ensures that your ad copy is... Uh, is appealing to people that uh, typed in the search query related to the keywords, which gives you a better click-through rate, gives you better ad rank and quality score. So uh, keep the keyword list small. Uh, and I see that that's one thing I see in audits constantly is uh, keyword lists with hundreds of keywords, many of them unrelated to each other, uh, none of them appearing in the ad copy, which is big big mistake. Split the, split those ad groups into smaller ones. Then I see um, frequently too many ads running in, a, in each ad group. Um, I'm not sure what people are thinking when they do this. Uh, <laughs> it could be uh, well, I, it's good to te it's good to test constantly. It's good to test ads. So let's just throw seven in there, and uh, we'll pick the winner eventually. Well, that logic is flawed because the more ads there are, the more the longer it takes for data to accumulate to make decisions on winners and losers. And uh, if you think about it, if you've got seven ads running, you're running six losers and, and one winner at all times. Uh, that just means you're leaving money on the table. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And for folks, uh, just to kind of parlay a little bit into ad testing, because uh, part of the reason you should only have two ads running, it sounds like, is because you should always be testing, ABT. And the best way to test is have, you know, two groups, one control right. and one test. Um, exactly. So then what are the metrics you look at to figure out who's winning the test and how long are you usually running, like, each ad to hit, like, to hit a threshold or, or some time? How do you change them? Yep. Well, the, the amount of time is not the metric I use to decide whether uh, it, the, the test is, is finished. It's actually the amount of data that's accumulated. And uh, my rule of thumb is uh, preferably at least 1,000 clicks and preferably uh, at least uh, 30, 40 conversions. Um, and then the metrics that I use, I look at click-through rate, I look at uh, conversion rate, and I look at cost per conversion. And um, you know, it, if you if you've done this uh, for many years, you 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 basically can do the math in your head to pick which which uh, ad is the winner and which is the loser. Uh, I'd say uh, nine times out of ten, it's very obvious which ad is the winner and which is the loser. Uh, I'd say 
first, especially if you have 30 to 40 conversions, look at the cost per conversion. Um, usually the, the ads with the lowest cost per conversion have the higher uh, conversion rate, and uh, both of those trump click-through rate. Uh, if, if, uh, if, so, for example, if one ad has a high click-through rate and a low uh, or a high cost per conversion and a low conversion rate, um, it is inferior to an ad that has a higher click-through rate but a lower conversion rate and a higher cost per conversion. And what about uh, volume? If you're not seeing, like, say, out of your 30 conversions, you only have three or four conversions on the winning ad. Do you, do you run it longer, or do you think that's enough of a signal? I would run it longer. Uh, you know, three or four conversions uh, is definitely not anywhere close to statistically significant. Um, and then do you use any of those? There's a bunch of StatSig tools where you can, you know, run the StatSig formula and it will tell you if it's technically statistically significant or do you feel like you've been doing it long enough you can you can eyeball it? Um, I, I do use uh, a great tool called Analysis. Yeah. Uh, Brad Geddes tool. And uh, I, I use it um, for new ads and new ad groups uh, where I, I probably don't have enough time to constantly uh, look at the data to decide when the, the test is finished. With existing ads and ad, ad groups, um, I've already been through the testing cycle at least two or three times and uh, I, I'm familiar with the, with the activity of all the ads. so. Um, it's pretty easy to, to spot the winner and loser. Yeah, I was going to say for a new ad, <clears throat> using tools to establish that kind of baseline makes sense. And then, you know, most marketers, if you've been managing the same account or if you're in-house, you almost know what your CPA, that kind of baseline CPA. Like if I write a mediocre ad or a, a good solid ad, I should get X. And then when you see something beating that, that's you just kind of naturally are like, ooh, ah, that's a winner. Yeah. Or, oh, my God, look at that loser. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, any, any last tip um, on kind of one thing you can do to, or one mistake you see that you shouldn't make? Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the Google Display Network. Um, I have clients that get 50% of their conversions from display, um, and that includes remarketing. And uh, unfortunately... Many advertisers uh, get started in display by doing something that is totally wrong, which is uh, simply copying search campaigns uh, or search ad groups, let's say, and pasting them into a uh, display network campaign. So, um, yep. First of all, uh, the keywords and the negative keywords act much differently in Google Display Network ad groups. Uh, an even smaller number of keywords are sufficient for contextually targeting or keyword targeting ad groups. Um, even probably five or six keywords are sufficient. More than that, and the matching algorithm gets confused and starts displaying the ads on uh, irrelevant sites. And that is one of the one of the most major causes of losing money on the Google Display Network. Um, another one is. Uh, some some of the listeners will uh, will identify with this. Um, 
creating an ad group, uh, display network ad group, and having it just sit there and not accumulate significant impressions and clicks. And often the reason is, again, copying search ad groups over from search campaigns to display network campaigns, including all the negative keywords. Uh, negative keywords run, mean something much different to, in the Google Display Network than they do in the search ne network. Uh, each negative keyword's telling Google, don't show my ad on any pages that contain this word. So, um, it based, uh, usually an, an advertiser has a very long list of uh, negative keywords for search campaigns. They dump that uh, the, that negative keyword list into the display network campaign and uh, in effect tell Google show my ad, ad on very few pages because uh, most pages contain uh, key, uh, ad, uh, words within the negative keyword list. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm guilty of, of all of these things. I mean, that's yeah. especially I worked at a volume agency and it was, you know, hey, copy it over to Display Network, copy the campaign or the keywords, and then complain that it gets no conversions and it's right. Right. So the, the, the solution is, you know, this what I recommend to everybody is go into each or go into the, the Display Network campaigns, especially remarketing, because you want your remarketing ads to show on any page where your target audience is, is uh, frequenting. So just go into your display network campaigns and ad groups and get uh, delete all of the negative keywords. Well, that's easy. Delete all the negatives, yeah. and then I, I would guess think about... So the thing that I used to say and never do was for the creatives, think about the fact that this is a whole different type of advertising. It's not search. It's not directional in nature. You know, People aren't looking for you. You're trying to you know, run a display ad. So you need to attract attention. You need to be memorable. All those things we know about running display. So my focus was always telling people, delete your ads and write display ads that are um, yeah that are high quality and don't just take your text ads and put them into a square and call it a Absolutely. display ad. Um, but your keywords too, like where you are in the buying cycle totally changes the keywords you select. Yep. By the way, the, the book I'm offering has uh, two chapters on display advertising that are just as pertinent today as the, the day I wrote them. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, there's, we touched on maybe five or six tips here, which have been really helpful. If, if these are, are also helpful to you, there's a lot more in the book, pay-per-click search engine marketing, an hour a day. You can find it on Amazon or you can get it for free in PDF version if you just email David. Uh, it's David at FMB Media. That's Frank Mary Barbara. Uh, <laughs> media.com uh, or oh, wait is it fmbmedia.com or just fmb fmb media right fmbmedia.com right, i want to get it right um yep and david's agreed to send you a free copy of the book and apparently there's two chapters on display that i need to read so i will get to <laughs> cool well david i really appreciate you coming on today and talking uh kind of a little bit about everything and then going deep on a few of these uh these tips good luck in Las Vegas when you're speaking uh, later in the month, and we hope to see you around uh, at the PPC events. You will. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate your inviting me on, and I appreciate the listeners uh, hanging in with us. You bet. Take care. You too, Paul. Cheers.